Welcome to SNC's podcast series, SNC Critical Insights. I'm Melissa Sawyer, Global Head of SNC's M&A Practice. Today, I'm going to be talking to my partners, Karsten Berrar and Olivier de Vilmarin, and we're going to be talking about cross-border M&A and how the current macroeconomic environment is impacting M&A. So Karsten, why don't we start with you and maybe you can share with us a little bit about how the macroeconomic issues that we've been seeing across Europe, especially in Germany, are impacting deals and companies in Germany. Thank you very much, Melissa. I think if you look at the situation in Europe and more specifically in Germany, you have to distinguish between industries and also between issues in a way. There is, of course, the energy supply shortage, the energy supply crisis. There is inflation, interest increases, recession. But at the same time, there are, of course, also transformational issues like, for example, e-mobility, car industry. But also, of course, if you look at other industries, startup companies and growth companies, which are hit now by all the macroeconomic trends that I just described. But if I look at the situation overall, I would be more optimistic than others, because if I look at the economy in Europe and in Germany, I see a lot of companies increasing efficiency at the moment and also accelerating the transformation and also a lot of startup companies increasing the focus on profitability, which is not a bad thing. And Olivier, are you seeing similar events playing out in France. What's happening in the French M&A market these days? Thank you, Melissa. And the French M&A market is generally down since the beginning of the year. And we're down by approximately 40% compared to 2021. But should be kept in mind that this level remains higher than that of 2019. So although the market is down, there still remains some activity. Several factors, as Carson said, explain the situation of course, including the economic context, which has led to a significant tightening of financing conditions, and also the geopolitical context, which has created a lot of uncertainty in Europe. Transactions are slow currently to materialize, and price discussions are now commonplace. But I no longer hesitate to pass up a transaction because the price is not considered adequate. So therefore, we see a period of caution, but we can remain optimistic. What we've seen is a lot of dynamism in 2022 in the energy sector. There have been a significant amount of deals in this sector in France and in Europe. For example, the nationalization of EDF, a $10 billion transaction, the nationalization of Uniper in, in Germany. The infrastructure sector also has remained strong with ongoing sale of various infra assets and the take private, for example, of Atlantia by Blackstone and the Benetton family. And the cybersecurity sector also has remained very active. Also, recent signs such as the softening of the pandemic restrictions in China and the slowdown of the U.S. inflation have had a positive impact on European markets and could give more confidence to the M&A market and unlock certain situations which are currently blocked. Even evaluation differences between buyers and sellers should remain an important issue to manage. Also, we should see take private transaction of undervalued listed companies. Distressed M&A should become strong and carve out could represent a significant part also of M&A activity in the coming months. 
But now that we have discussed the European view, Melissa, from a US perspective, how do you view the current market environment for cross-border transactions into Europe? Which type of deals do you expect to come back first? I think this is an amazing time for US acquirers to be thinking about making investments in Europe. The price is right for those investments and the market is less competitive than it has been in the last couple of years, which gives buyers a great opportunity to negotiate exclusivity with sellers rather than having to participate in very competitive auction processes. All that being said, U.S. buyers, of course, are not immune to the macroeconomic environment, and many of them are concerned about securing financing or even just having the support of their board and their shareholders to do expansion at this time. So I think that they're approaching this with moderation at the moment. The other variable that we can't ignore is that the U.S. phenomenon of shareholder activism has really started to reach into Europe. And as a result, we are seeing a lot of large European companies go through a process of a portfolio rationalization where they're making available divisions or smaller businesses for sale. And that also presents nice opportunities for cross-border buyers to acquire European assets. In terms of industries, it's a lot of the same things that Olivier mentioned. The alternative energy and renewables market in Europe is very attractive for U.S. buyers at the moment. Life sciences is a perennially hot area for acquisitions, but we're seeing activity across a lot of different sectors. I think it's a question of when all the deals that are in the pipeline will actually be able to come to fruition. And as I said, a lot of that will depend on the strength of the financing markets over the coming six months. Now, that's my observation about what's happening in the market. I guess the question for both of you, Olivier and Carson, is whether you're seeing from a European perspective that these cross-border deals are becoming more complex. Olivier, maybe let's start with you on that. It's true that cross-border deals are becoming more complex, but maybe also because the time period between signing and closing has significantly increased in recent years. Of course, this is due to antitrust aspects, where with some transactions that are where very highly antitrust sensitive. If you take, for example, the SCLR Luxotica acquisition of Grand Vision, it took 22 months to obtain all antitrust approval. So as one can imagine, this raises additional complexity. But also what we've seen is the development across Europe of FDI, foreign direct investment screening regimes, combined with the EU foreign investment corporation regime, which adds delay and complexity, even if in practice, very few transactions are blocked. Just in terms of background, the EU corporation regimes, foreign investment, just provide that when a transaction is notified in one country, the relevant authority notifies the EU commission, which itself notifies all other European countries to ensure that no one is forgotten. One of the most relevant considerations in making the risk assessment continues, of course, to be the investor origin for FDI. For example, Italy has blocked several transactions involving Chinese investors, but also the sector itself. For example, France blocked a transaction in the night vision sector. We see also a lot of conditional currencies, which add some complexity when dealing with conditions imposed by several EU countries and causes delay due to necessary discussion on the condition with the authorities. 
in light of the potential length between signing and closing, and the current volatility of the market, interim operating covenants are subject to even more scrutiny than before. Also, we see some sellers pushing for hell high water type of commitment for FDI aspects, which can prove to be difficult to accept due to the novelty of the ADI regime in certain European countries and the uncertainty regarding the condition which may be imposed. Maybe Carson, do you have a different experience and how do you see things in Germany? No, Olivier, I think I have the same observations that you have. Yes, it's getting more complex in recent years, and I agree with your observations on FDI and antitrust. At the same time, I would expect significant wave of P2P transactions in 2023 and thereafter, given the share prices for various companies in Europe, given the FX development that really favors U.S. buyers. So we see on both sides of the Atlantic, strategic buyers on the U.S. side, a lot of companies in Europe thinking about their portfolio, thinking about segments, thinking about divisions, whether they have to sell it, buy additional parts, and therefore change their companies significantly. So at the same time, we would also expect a certain shift in the U.S. from China and interest in buying in China towards Europe. So there may be from both sides of the Atlantic again, an interest from the European side and the U.S. side to have cross-border transactions between U.S. and European companies. And the transformational issues that I mentioned would also play into this from both sides. So yes, complexity increase from antitrust and FDI. But also on the political side, I would expect a support from the European governments with respect to U.S. buyers in terms of these strategic developments on the geopolitical side, which favors U.S. buyers into Europe. And I would just add that from a U.S. perspective, we've seen a lot of very strong rhetoric from the U.S. regulators about M&A of all kinds. But the wonderful thing about being an M&A practitioner is that we've been through these cycles before where there has been challenge in the macro economy, such as after the dot-com bubble burst or after the credit crisis in 2008. We've seen cycles of regulatory interventionism in transactions, but we're creative and we're usually able to still find ways to get deals done. Sometimes it takes a little bit longer. Sometimes it takes a little bit more work to come up with structures that help the deals to be successful. But at the end of the day, the M&A markets are definitely cyclical and they just keep coming back, which is part of what makes this job fun. So with that thought, I'd like to thank you for listening to SNC Critical Insights. And for more information about our practice, please visit us on the web at www.solcrom.com.